Oh, that's crazy. Thank you. It's good to see every one of you. It really is. It's been a long, crazy last eight or nine weeks of twists and turns, things I didn't plan, things nobody could have planned. But God knew. I said over and over, I said it was a surprise to me, but it wasn't a surprise to God. And uh, so I'll share a little bit about some of the things where I've seen God work and how I know God is alive. This Easter is definitely different. All my life, I've been I've grown in church since I could walk. Many of you have. You've been in church since you could walk. You've seen and heard the stories. And you say, well, you can ask the question, is God real? Of course He's real. Is God's present here? Of course it is. And you sense that and you say, well, but is He really there? Is He really there? I mean, if He's so alive, then why don't you sense His presence? Why isn't He answering your prayers? Why isn't He doing things that you're asking Him to do? And you, let's be honest, there's times in our lives where we say, I know factually because I believe God's Word and I'm taking Him at His Word, right? But realistically, you're thinking, man, where is He? I don't see Him. And I'm telling you what, I've seen God show up in the last couple of weeks in a couple of ways that it was just, it's only God. Only God that could have done it. And I'll share a couple of those things a little bit later. I don't want this thing to be about me. I want it to be about Him. And so if you would, take your, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 12. Kind of a different... I just want to kind of... I, I don't have time to go through every aspect of, of uh, the book of John and following up to the Easter day. But I want to take a few passages here and just highlight a couple of things. John chapter 12, beginning of verse 27, says this, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it thunders. Others said the angels have spoken to Him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of Me, but for Your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying what, by what death he would die. And the people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus said to him, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. And these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. There are just a couple of things from this passage that I think just scream out of here. Why did Jesus come? This is the very reason that Jesus came to this earth. You know, it's not about the bunnies, it's not about the chocolates, it's not about the eggs, and we all know that, and we talk about that every year. What is the real purpose for this season of Easter? It's right here. This is the very reason that we celebrate Easter. Jesus just didn't come to die. I mean, He didn't just come to say, oh well, I'm going to go to a cross, I'm going to die, and then it's just going to be written down in the annals of history, and it'll be done and over with. He came to die for a purpose. And there's a reason behind what He did. He died and rose again and He was lifted up to draw all peoples to Himself. 
I mean, think about that. He came and He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all peoples to Myself. I mean, think about that. He came that He might be lifted up so that the world might know who He is, and by knowing who He is, they might have life eternal, right? Nobody would argue that point. That He came to die, to be lifted up. But what sets Him apart from any other deity or any other God, small g, that this world has ever known? The very fact that He didn't just die. He died and rose again. And that's what sets Him apart. He's not just somebody, and you know, you think about this, and I said this several weeks ago, well, probably months ago now, as we talked about, you know, years ago, we were talking about uh, some some land that the FLBA was, was selling, and he said in the research, the attorney said, there is this, I guess, documented paper down at the courthouse that there are 40,000 documented, registered religions in the world today. 40,000. Think about that just for a moment. That with 40,000 documented religions, that means there are over 40,000 what? People who created them. And every one of them is just a person who decided that they would have their own twist and take on religious ideas and ideology. But none of them died went to the grave and rose again. That we might sense His presence as we live in this world today. He's the only one that can say that. And why did He say that? Because He said, if I be lifted up, if I go to the grave, if I, if I die on this cross and, I lift, and I'm lifted up, He says, I will then begin to draw all people to Myself. I can't convince anyone to get saved. I can't convince anybody to turn from their sinfulness and their wickedness and say, hey, you know, I can encourage you and say, well, it's real to me. And I can say, well, look what God has done for me. But the reality is that's faith that is personal, right? And God does that work in each of our lives. And God will begin to draw us. As no man looks to the Father except the Father draw him. He says, I will draw all people to Myself. And if you go on down verse 36, He says this, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become the sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. And verse 37, but although he had done so many signs, done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Now think about this over and over. He says, while you have the light, believe. He says, while you still have the opportunity, Believe. And yet we live in a world where people are constantly rejecting Him and turning away from Him and say, well, He's not real. And I'm glad He's good for you. Or I'm glad that He challenges you and He's there for you, but not for me. He says, while you have the light, while you still have the opportunity, turn to Him. And He says, but although... I mean, just think of those words. But although He had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in Him. I mean, even after everything they had seen, after everything they had experienced, I mean, think about it. It wasn't just like the local newspaper. I mean, the, the Word was out. And He did the miracles. And as He went about His days, and as He gave sight to the blind, and He gave hearing to the deaf, and as He made the lame to walk, that wasn't just hidden in pockets, right? I mean, the Word was out. And after everything they had been seen and experienced and heard, He says, but although they had been familiar with the signs, they still would not believe. Does this sound familiar in the world that we live in? Have things really changed a whole lot? 
Not a whole lot. That's still the world that we live in today. And then look at down verse 46. He says, I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in Me should not abide in darkness. He said, this is My desire. I mean, this goes right back to John chapter 3. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through Me might what? Believe. And now He says, I have come as a light into the world who believe, and whoever believes in Me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears My words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I do not come to the judge of the world, but to save the world. He says, the reality is, he says, you've already got a destination, and I'm trying to give you a better one. And the reality is, he says, I'm come to give light to those of you who are walking in darkness. Once again, when you think about a torch, is a torch held at the ground? No. A torch is held up so that as you walk and go forward, you can use it to give light. And that's what Jesus is. He's that light. He's that torch who goes before us over and over. And there's so many analogies from Scripture of that. He said, I have come as a light to a dark world. And look at verse 47 and 48. It is a choice. He says, And if anyone hears My words and does not believe, I don't judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And he who rejects Me and does not receive My words has that which judges him. And the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. He said, the reality is, he says, I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to make you do it. But my goodness, if you would, you have the light and you can become part of the light. Wow, that's over and over abundantly. But here's the thing. People think that there are so many ways to heaven. And there's not. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. There is only one way to heaven. Only one way, and that's the relationship through Jesus Christ. But as you journey to the cross, look over in John chapter 17. We're kind of, I'm not hitting every passage, but I just wanted to highlight a few things as far as his purpose and why he came. Look at John chapter 17. Just the first few verses here. He says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given Him authority over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as you have given to Him. <coughs> and this is eternal life, that you may know that He may know that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with Yourself with the, with the glory which I, had, which I had with You before the world was. And He goes on and He prays for His disciples. I mean, think about it. These are the ones that had walked with Him, who had stood beside Him. He says, I have manifested Your name before men whom You have given me out of the world. They were Yours. You gave them to me and they have kept Your Word. And now they have known that all things which You have given me are from You. For I have given them to the, given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. And he's praying over and over, and he says, "I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, that for they are yours." He goes on to pray for his children, his disciples, and then he prays for all believers. Look down, verse twenty he says, "I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who who will believe in me through their word." That they will may that they all may be 
one as you the Father are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. He goes on, he goes, I'm praying for you. Here's the deal. Jesus wants you to become part of his family. He says, I'm praying for those who are. I'm praying for those who yet will be. He goes, I want you to be part of it. And let me just tell you, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, he says, I want you to be part of my family. I want a relationship with you. That's the very reason we celebrate Easter is that I didn't just go to the cross and I just didn't just die. He said, I died and I, was, and I went to the grave and I rose again so that you might believe in eternal life. That you might put your faith and your trust in Me. But He was about to complete what He had come to do. And as we journey towards the cross, look over in John chapter 19 and beginning with verse 28. After this, Jesus, and several things happened between the, what I just read and this. He goes to the cross and the soldiers are mocking Him and uh, making fun of Him and putting signs above His head. As we get to John chapter 19, beginning with verse 28, He says this, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on the hyssop, and put it to His mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross and on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And immediately blood and water came out. And he who had been, has seen, has testified, and this testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. Again, another scripture says they shall look on him whom they had pierced. And the reality is this, that Jesus came to die. And as he went to him, Scripture was fulfilled. And even though he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He says, nevertheless, what? Your will be done. Why? So that you and I could have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Over and over. And when you think about it, someone says, well, who was it really that put Jesus on the cross? Who was it really that crucified Him? Was it the Jewish people? No. Was it the soldiers? No. Was it Pontius Pilate? Was it Caiaphas? No. Was it all the people? No. It wasn't any of them. If you look at John chapter 10, verse 18, He said, I lay down My life. No man took it from Me. I laid it down for you. Who would do that? I mean, who of us in this room sitting here this morning would say, I love you so much. And you say, well, I'm a father, I'm a mother, and I would give my life for my kid. And I would not doubt that. Many of us would in this room. If we had an opportunity and our children were in some situation where their life was at jeopardy, we would probably give our life for them. But can you imagine giving your life for the entire world? For people who are not yet born? For people that, will never, that you will never know? That for people that will reject you and despise you and hate you? He says, no man took my life. I willingly laid it down. 
And then I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24 for a moment. Luke chapter 24, I want to read the first beginning verses here. He went to the cross. He was lifted up so that all men would be drawn to Him. He died. He was put in a borrowed tomb. Look at chapter 24 of Luke, verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, verily... Very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to Him, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but He is risen. Remember how He spoke to you when He was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Isn't that amazing? Scripture fulfilled. He went to the cross. He went to the grave. And then He rose again. And verse 8 says, And they remembered His words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all things to the eleven and, all, and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, the other women with them, who told them told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. And they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. And you know the story of what happens next. Is they're walking down the Emmaus Road. They run into this man. And he says, well, what, what, what's going on? He goes, well, we're looking, for the, we're looking for Jesus, thinking that He's the gardener, that maybe Jesus has already arisen. Question. Is Jesus alive to you? Is He real? I want you to really answer that question. If your answer is yes, Jesus is alive, He is real, and I know that He exists, what would you do to prove it? anything so well, i can't prove his existence okay fair enough what exists in your life that gives evidence that he's real to you do you have answered prayer prayer that gets answered that's beyond coincidence beyond luck beyond happenstance beyond coincidence is he real do you sense his presence I don't know about you, but there's been periods in my life where I trust in what I know, not in what I feel. Right? Because what we feel can lead us astray. But what we know is concrete based on God's Word. But I love it when God not only gives us His concrete Word, but also gives us a sense of His presence. I'm not one of those guys that, well, I just got to feel God's presence all the time. You know, I'd love to have that experience all the time, but that's not reality for me. But let me tell you what I, how I know that God is real for me and why this year has been a little bit different. And I want to share just a couple minutes of my testimony and t- tie this in just for a minute. A few weeks ago, probably going back eight and a half, nine weeks ago, I went to the doctor just because I woke up one morning and I felt like, you know how it is, like when you have a baby and you feel like your baby's on your chest when you wake up in the morning. Just not really pain, not really pressure, but just a little bit of weight. 
And I thought, oh great, here comes the annual bronchitis. Get it every year. So I call the doctor, and she goes, come on in. We'll get you a prescription or whatever. So I go to the doctor. She goes, your lungs sound great. Your lungs are fine. I'm like, oh, okay. She goes, let me take your blood pressure. Blood pressure is perfect. In fact, she's looking at me. She goes, I'm looking at your chart. She goes, you've never had high blood pressure, have you? And I said, no, not really. My entire life, I've never. Big guy and all, I don't have high blood pressure. Never have. Don't have high cholesterol. And she goes, well, let's do an EKG. I'm like, okay. So they slap all the stickers on you and do the EKG. And she goes, well, it doesn't look too bad. It looks fairly normal for what I would expect for a 50-year-old man. It looks kind of typical for your age and so forth. I'm like, okay, great. And But she goes, but I'm not a cardiologist. I'm like, right. <laughs> she goes, wait a minute here. And she's looking at the computer. She goes, looks like you have a history of heart problems in your family. And I say, yeah, my dad had major heart attacks in his 40s, had five bypass heart surgery at 54. And both my grandparents had major heart surgeries in their early 60s. She goes, well, I don't really see anything I'm alarmed at. But she goes, why don't, you just, why don't we just let the cardiologist look at it? And I'm like, okay. So I went to Vornovitsky. A couple of you know who he is and have him. And he goes... Yeah, he goes, it's not too bad. He did his own EKG. He goes, it's not too bad. He goes, but I want to do another one after we do a stress test. I'm like, okay. He goes, where do you live? And I said, just right down the road. He goes, go change clothes and come right back. Went back, did the stress test, took another EKG, and he goes, yeah, I think we got a little bit of an issue. So Monday, went to the doctor. Friday, went to the cardiologist. Tuesday, went to another cardiologist to do our, what do you call it, angiogram. So they tape my arm down to the table, and, you know, I'm watching everything they're doing on the 70-inch screen in front of me. And uh, he goes, no, you're going to fall asleep and be tired. He goes, but I was watching the whole thing. And about 30, 40 minutes into it, he goes, all right, Mr. Todd, you're, you're done. And I kind of looked up at him. He goes, I said, well, you didn't put no stints in. Doctor said you're going to probably put a stint or two in. He goes, yeah, you got too much blockage for a stint. He goes, well, how do you know I didn't put a stint in? I said, I watch YouTube. <laughs> so after watching YouTube and not seeing that he didn't put a stint in, he goes, yeah, you got too much blockage. And I'm like, for real? Okay. week later, triple bypass. Things are going great. He says, you're going to be in ICU for two to three days and then step down for three days, and then we'll send you home within five, six days. I'm like, great. I was in ICU for a day. Stepped down for two days, went home. I'm like, it's going great. I'm like on record recovery here, walking up and down the, you know, the church driveway, walking around the parking lot out there, getting my two 15-minute walks in a day, you know, as I said, as I'm recuperating. And all of a sudden, week five, I'm sitting there on a Wednesday afternoon in my house, holding my chair down so it doesn't go anywhere. Um, and all of a sudden, it just felt like somebody came up to me and just stabbed me with a knife. Right, right there in the center of my chest. And it just, I mean, it was just like that sudden, like a light switch just went, woof. And it was just like, wow. And within a couple hours, I couldn't hardly breathe, couldn't hardly talk. It was just, re- I mean, I couldn't sit still. I was just in so much pain. I called the doctor, and they said, come into the ER. They rushed me in. And next thing you know, they says, yeah, you just had a infection start. 
And we're just perplexed. Like, the infection comes on that fast and that painful? They said, yeah, that's the way it works sometimes. So next thing you know, they got this 8-inch incision, and about 3 inches of it they took and sliced open, cleaned it out, and, uh, you know, stuck a tube in it that's still there. And, you know, got to carry this dumb thing everywhere I go because it's uh, a wound back. It sucks out all the junk out of my chest. It's all wonderful. Great tool. So uh, as I'm in the hospital, and this is why Easter is different for me this year, knowing that there's a God and trusting in His Word that He's real is one thing. But sensing His presence is a complete another thing. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I'm ready to go home because anybody that knows me, I'm just, I'm over it. I got to get home. I, I don't know what I'm doing when I get home, but I got to get home. I'm just over it. Dying up there. And so I finally, getting ready to go home. They said I could go home the next day, but then that night, the infection takes a turn, and all of a sudden, my temperature goes up to like 103. And they come in at like 9 o'clock at night, and they said, Mr. Todd, you're getting a temperature. We've got to get it down. And next thing you know, they're sticking ice bags underneath both my armpits, which feels really good. Um, and then they bring in this ice blanket. I call it, they call it a cold blanket. I call it ice blanket. It's an eighth-inch thick, big machine that stands this tall, and it's like ice water flowing through me, and they have it set at 45 degrees. And I'm on this thing for like three hours, and it's laid over me. And I am, I went from literally, I can, I know it's cold, to my arms are tingling. I can now not feel my arms and legs, and I'm hitting my hand against the edge of the bed, and I can't feel it. I'm just like frozen. And finally, after three hours of this, I got to go to the bathroom. I get up, I say, I got to go to the bathroom. I hit the bit buzzer, and they come out. It's fine. I go to the bathroom. They come in. They said, Mr. Todd, we want you to lay on it. It's much more effective for you to lay on it versus covering with it. Oh, okay. No, you need to take your clothes off. Are you serious right now? It's 3 in the morning. You're asking me to take my clothes off and lay on a 45-degree blanket. I grew up in Minnesota. Anybody ever done a polar bear swim? I've done that a couple times. I've gone swimming with ice in the water. That was far worse. Six hours. It was the most miserable night of my life. I was miserable. I couldn't feel my body. Even about an hour and a half after they took it off, then I started tingling and getting my sensations back. But finally, the temperature broke. And it was back to normal. I'm thinking, okay. And they said, if it stays through the day, I can go home. Well, that night, lo and behold, it goes up to 103.7. And I just sat there and I cried. I just sat there and I'm like, I can't do this again. I'm sitting there just, and I called Don, and I said, I don't know who you got to call, but just start praying. So I said, I cannot deal with this another night. And I just sat there and I just was beside myself thinking, I got to lay on this stinking blanket for another night. And I'm telling you, God showed up. At that moment, she laid that blanket down, set it at 45 degrees again, and I laid on it, and I slept like a baby for six hours. It might as well have been 85 degrees. Seriously. I woke up, and I'm like, is this thing still on? The nurse goes, yeah, why? 
I said, because it might as well be 85 degrees. I said, it's not even cold. Didn't bother me in the least. She goes, well, that's good. Your temperature's gone. We can turn it off now. For an entire night, I slept on that 45-degree blanket. And it might as well have been 85 degrees. The other thing that God did was that I've joked for years is I've got veins that Helen Keller can find. Just poke anywhere, you're going to get blood splurting. I mean, that's just the way they are. I mean, it's just like... But the problem was between the triple bypass, the infection for a week of being in there, it got to the point where it's just like everything was blowing or rolling. I mean, everything was... My Both my arms were just like... I could count all the dots. I had 14 dots on this side and 12 dots on this side where they kept trying to get blood and they just couldn't get it anymore. Everywhere they tried to poke, it just wasn't happening. And every time they wanted to do a blood culture to check the level of my infection, they had to do a new site. And I'm thinking, for the love of Jesus himself, why do we need a new site? You've got three IVs in me. Why? Just use one. No, we've got to have a new one. I'm like, I don't understand that. I'm not a nurse. I will never understand that. But they wanted new sites. And two at once. I'm like, for the love of Jesus, no. And I just, once again, in my mind, I was just shot. I was just like, I'm just crying again to myself. I'm just, I can't handle it. I'm just, I'm just over it. And I called Don again. I said, Don, you've got to get people praying. I said, I don't know who they are, but just pray. And if those of you that have teenagers who have gotten their driver's license, I looked at one of the nurses and I said, what are you doing, practicing your K-turns in my arm? <laughs> Same hole, but just in, out, up, down, left, right. And I'm like, seriously? I said, not happening here. And uh, I looked at the one guy, and he's just, oh, Mr. Todd, I need blood. I said, I understand that. I said, but can we kind of figure out another way of doing this? Because this ain't working. You know, I'm like, you're, you're almost like, you know, weaving like stitching with a knee. It's just, it ain't working. So I called down. I said, they want more blood. I'm <laughs> like, seriously. And then that one lady looks at me and goes, and I said, listen, before you start poking, I said, I got 14 red dots. You can count them where they've tried to get blood and can't do it. 12 on this side where they've tried to do it and can't do it. I said, can you please somehow figure out, I said, I'm not questioning your ability. They're blowing and rolling. And I said, the reality is I need somebody who can do it quick and easy. And uh, she goes, well, you haven't had me yet. Right? Because you're just that good. Not. But prayer. We immediately started praying. And she went out of the room. I called Don, started praying. She walked back in, and boom, two seconds, got it, and it was done. Do I think she was just that good? Oh, no. I think God's that good. I think God was that good. Immediately, God began to tell me how he's answering my prayers. It's not just coincidence that you can lay on a bed that's 45 degrees for six hours and it not even be cold to you and not even bother you in the least. It's not coincidence that someone can walk in after having 20-some different points of trying to get blood and they can't do it and just, boom, they're done. That's not coincidence. That's God answering prayer. It goes beyond just saying, well, I know there's a God, but there's a God who is intimately loves me and cares for me. 
and what is uh, for my best interest. Because he loves me. Over and over, I see God's hand at work. I see God's presence. I see his answered prayer in my life. He's more than a name on a page of a piece of paper in a book somewhere. He's more than that. And He can be more than that for you. The reality is so often we think of Him as a distant being somewhere in the nebulous universe. Somewhere up in the heavens, He's up there doing His thing, and well, one day when we die, we'll, get, we'll make it there. And can I just say this? I'm not trying to be arrogant. We say, what a day that will be when we all get to heaven. And we're irritated and can't spend 30 minutes in a service down here. What's wrong with that? Can't wait to get to heaven, but we can't take 20 minutes a week to read His Word. What's wrong with that? Seriously. Let's be honest. And if Jesus is real, why do we not want to get to know Him? I, I told my wife, I said, when this is all done, and I said, we get over there, I said, I'm going to take her wherever she wants to go, one way or the other. If I have to deliver pizzas for pizza, I'm going to come up with a way to take her wherever she wants to go. She has served and been selfless through all this. But when you love someone, think about this. When you love someone, you will do anything for them. Let's look at what Jesus did for us. What was His motivation? He loves us. He loved us so much. John 3.16, you know it. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that He what? Gave His only begotten Son that what? Whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. He loved us so much that He gave. You've heard me say it before, but love without action is not love. Compassion without action is just empathy. That's all it is. We can be empathetic towards somebody's circumstance, but without action, that's just all it is. It's not compassion. Compassion always leads to action. But what about our love to Him? Do we love Him enough? What's Romans 12, 1 and 2? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, Holy, acceptable unto God, which is what your reasonable form of service or worship, depending on which translation you look at. It's the same. Do you love Him enough to serve Him? Is your love for Jesus strong enough to compel you to live for Him? He went to the cross out of His love. What does our love reveal about our willingness to serve and follow Him? John 13 says, If you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. Are we obedient? His love is real. His presence is real. Why? Because He didn't stay in the grave. He didn't stay there. He rose. Right? That's why we celebrate Easter, is that He arose. We celebrate His rising from the dead. But if we truly say that we love Him, what verification of that do we have in our life? Do we want to get to know Him? I'm telling you, I love my wife. I want to get to know her. I want to know what her dreams are. I want to know what her ambitions are. I want to know what, what she loves, right? Because 
we're in a love relationship. What about our love relationship with Jesus? Let me ask you a question. I'm just, just going to close with this. If he's real, if he's truly risen in your life, what evidence of, the, of that resurrection is there in your life? Do you read his word? Do you spend time in prayer? Do you tell others about him because you love him so much? Does he get your treasure? What's God's word tells us? He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you, does he get your treasure? Does he have your heart? Because he's alive. Because he's real. I don't know about you, but that was a challenge to me this year. I don't want it to die out. I don't want this just to be, oh, well, five years ago, Ken had triple bypass, and well, you know, it kind of challenged him then, shook him up a little bit, and now he's back to normal. I don't want to go back to normal. I don't want normal. I want to keep growing and keep knowing him more and more and more the older I get because he is real. Lord, I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. I ask God that you would just not only challenge us, but change us. I ask God that you would do a work in our lives that only you can do. I ask God that you would just reveal yourself even more. Not for an experiential feeling, not for a circumstance that we can point back to and say, I had this feeling. But God, because of your faithfulness, your love, you went to the cross, you endured the pain, you went through the suffering because you loved us. Love compels us to action. And your presence changes everything. And I pray, God, that you would continue to speak to our hearts. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and just ask that God's people be praying for a moment. Just ask for a minute and no one will be looking around. But just, just a challenge question. Do you know Jesus? Is his presence in your life because you have a relationship with him? If you don't, that's the most important decision you can ever make. Just to trust what he's done for you on the cross. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Oh, Pastor, I don't know that if I were to die today, I don't know that I have the confidence that I spent eternity in heaven, but I'm concerned about that. I really do want to know that he's my Savior. Let me just tell you, friend, I'll not embarrass you and not call you out, not anything but pray for you. But you say, Pastor Ken, I'm concerned. I don't have that confidence, but I want that confidence. I want to know, would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning, just with uplifted hand or just look up at me. Let me catch your eyes. I just want to pray for you. Anyone like that this morning? Yes, yes, I appreciate that. appreciate your honesty. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. I just don't know. Just catch my eye. Let me see your hand. You're just not sure. I'd love nothing more than to pray for you. If that's your desire, can I just tell you a simple prayer of faith? To begin a relationship with Jesus Christ is where it starts. 
My prayer will not save you. It cannot save you. My faith cannot save you. Your own faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross is what will save you. It's a simple prayer that goes something like this. You can repeat after me in your own heart, Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. And I believe that you died on the cross for me. That you shed your blood that I might have forgiveness of sin. And I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sin. To cleanse my heart. I put my faith and trust in you alone to be my Savior. To be my God. Maybe you're here this morning you said, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. If you believed with all your heart that you just put your faith and trust in Him, that you prayed to accept Him as your Savior, you're now a child of God. Say, Pastor, this morning I prayed that prayer. Anyone like that this morning? Just acknowledge that. Look at me. Yes. I invite you to stand. Lord God, you have been so gracious to us. You have been so, so good. You've been so kind, so merciful. You give us what we don't deserve, and you withhold what we do. Lord, we know and acknowledge that if we got what we deserve, we spend eternity in hell. But by your grace, dear Father, we can spend eternity in heaven with you because of salvation. And God, all we can do is say thank you. Lord, we love you for what you've done for us. We love you because you first loved us, according to 1 John 4. And we ask, dear Father, that you would continue to do a work in our lives, Lord, that you continue to show your presence to us. Lord, might every one of us in this room today understand, believe, and know that you're more than a name on a piece of paper in a book. That you are alive and real. That you arose from the grave. God, I pray that we might all sense your presence. That we might experience answered prayer. That you would speak to us through your word and through circumstances in our lives, Lord, where you're trying to get our attention and where you're trying to speak to us. But Lord, primarily through your word that you would just speak to us. Lord God, I ask that you'd help us this year to take some extra time to reflect, to remember, to celebrate the gift of salvation that you've given to us. And that, Lord, if we truly love you, that it would compel us to action, to read your word, to pray and spend time with you, to tell others about you, to walk in obedience, Father. Thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for being God. And for experiencing, Lord, our, for giving us all the, Lord, the characteristics that are in your name, your grace, your mercy, your power, your kindness, your forgiveness, and a thousand other characteristics, Lord, that you bestow to us every day. God, would you continue to do a work in our lives, draw us closer to you, We'll thank you and praise you.
for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.